Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital or you are looking to get your company acquired or just need some sound financial planning and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at PantheraAdvisors.com or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So super exciting guest today that we have. I mean, we're going to be learning the transition from corporate to building your startup to going from technical to business and now obviously to really a tremendous journey that he has embarked on that we're going to be learning about today. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Sudhir Conero. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. So originally born there in India, actually in quite a small town. So how was life growing up there? Yes, it was nice. It was more about family and close connections and bonds and being in a small town, a village kind of atmosphere. It was, you know, appreciating relationships and being very well bonded to my family was something which I grew up with. And how small was the town? Uh, it was like maybe 400 people kind of stuff. That's all. Wow. Yeah. So everyone yeah. knew everyone. Yes, I knew everyone. So if you go out into the town, then you're to stop at everybody's house and you're to say hello and to go to the next house. So it was not easy to get away from being polite. Wow. I mean, if you ever probably go back there, they must be asking you for photographs and autographs and all types of stuff. <laughs> yeah. right? It yes. must be like, they, like the rock star. But, you know, in this yeah. case for you, uh, it was a pivotal moment. Your father uh, decided to go to the city and that definitely uh, really, you know, got you guys to, to get in motion you know, so to speak. So, so tell us about how that was, you know, uh, perhaps like a shocker or quite a difference for you and what you were used to. Yeah, it was very different because my dad was the first person in our whole family to leave the village and go to the town, go to a city uh, and, you know, work there. So growing up for me, uh, I came from very simple roots, whereas in city there were families and people who were very flamboyant, very, you know, different in how they used to be. So I had to just fit in and kind of learn to say, okay, I'm also here. So it was, yeah, it was an interesting gradual experience, but some of those shape you, uh, they stay with you, that uh, you always tend to think simple, whereas, you know, everybody around you is maybe smarter, but they talk a lot and stuff. And you, you know, you just learn to live with that. I think you, it shapes you. And for you, your father, uh, obviously, um, played a really important role for you. I mean, he, he ended up coming to the U.S. Uh, you finished your, your school there in, in India, but I'm sure that that, you know, kind of like put the U.S. in your map, in your radar. I mean, obviously, you know, as a result of this, 
you even ended up coming to the U.S. to do your master's. Uh, but I guess my question here is, why engineering? Why is every single person that I meet from India, they have an engineering background? I mean, are you guys born with an engineering degree under your arm or what? I think, no, I think it's it's about the times. In those times, I think the opportunities in India were more around engineering and medicine where you could get a good career. Whereas if you went down journalism or other artwork, you may not make material money. But today, that has changed even in India. But in those days, that was the case. So if you were really good at your education, it was natural that you get into you know the best engineering school. And even in terms of I chose computer science, it's not like I chose computer science because I knew I want to be in computer science. It is like it is the most aspired discipline in those days because it was the most emerging category. And it was hardest to get into. So if you get a good rank, good grade, then you could get a shot at it. So I picked it because I got a shot at it. And, and talking about taking a shot at it, I mean, you graduate from your master's and here you are, you know, you start in a village, you know, with 400 people. And now all of a sudden you find yourself in one of the biggest tech companies on the planet. I mean, how much of a shocker was that? And how did you land on Microsoft? Yeah, I think so. Microsoft was a very accidental thing. I, uh, when I was in college, all my friends were going off and saying, oh, we're going to do internships and all that stuff when they were in grad school in, in Texas, Austin. And I said, oh, okay, I'm going to sit around doing nothing for summer. Maybe I'll also apply. So I was a late applicant, but I got into Microsoft and I loved the atmosphere. Uh, it was really very friendly and very family-like. And I joined Microsoft as an intern. And I loved the place so much that I went back as a full-time employee Though my job offer from Microsoft was like, you know, they were paying me in those days, like, you know, something like $35,000 a year. Whereas IBM, I had a job for $55,000 a year. I still chose to go to Microsoft and it didn't make any logical sense. It was just my, you know, this is what I mean about choices that we make. I somehow made that choice. It was my gut reaction. It wasn't, you know, thought through. I wasn't as passionate about money, but I loved the place. So. And of course, it worked out beautifully because <laughs> I remember I was negotiating with my recruiter. Can you reduce my options and give me some more money and my stock options? And she was like, nope, we're not going to do that. And I'm so happy that she didn't do it because it would have made a difference of millions of dollars. That day. Well, 100%. I mean, it was, it, we're talking about the early 90s where the company was like literally like blowing up in a really, really nice way. Uh, I guess for yeah. you, like, how was the experience of being able to work and being able to see and and perhaps meet you know people like Bill Gates, who at the time was very involved with Microsoft. Yeah, I think Microsoft was a very defining time of my career in those days. People were very driven, energized to do well, and uh, you know the standard, the bar of excellence was so high uh, that I kept learning like crazy every year. It was like I never was in the shoes of feeling like I know it all. The environment may kept me in the shoes that hey, I have so much to learn and so much to grow kind of stuff. And so I ended up with very good career growth at Microsoft and, uh, you know, did very well in terms of leading a very large part of Windows team when I was leaving Microsoft. And definitely your segue into launching your, your, your first baby in Teleprep. So here you get together, you know, you put the band, you know, it was a, a group of former colleagues as well from, from Microsoft. And here you go you know, started your first thing. So so how was that experience with IntelliPrep and what were you guys doing there? Yeah, so we built what is uh, online learning solutions, so learning management systems. And, you know, we evolved what we did. We started off with some high principles because we came from Microsoft. We were guys who knew how to build great products 
And we thought like Microsoft because Microsoft can choose to think and solve any big problem because they're Microsoft. Whereas when you're out in the world on your own, uh, we had to quickly learn and realize, hey, we can't do aspire to solve complex. We have to be very specific about solving specific problems and get customers very quickly and learn how to get customers. So it was a big wake-up call and a learning exercise that though we were great technologists uh, and product designers, we uh, didn't know what it meant to do business. And uh, we learned very fast, uh, but it was, uh, I, I think it was the best decision though. Uh, you know, it was a tough decision to leave Microsoft at the time. Yeah, no, I can't imagine, but definitely quite a, quite a ride. Uh, what ended up being the business model of IntelliProp? I mean, what were you guys doing there? So we were building uh, talent management solutions, learning management solutions for large businesses. So we had the top 60% of the S&P 500 as customers of us in the category. We, the product we built became the leader in uh, Gartner Magic Quadrant, et cetera. So uh, it was a leading solution. And eventually the company was called Sum Total Systems through some name change in M&A. Yeah, because the company was merged into click to learn which was a, a Paul Allen company. Funny enough how you keep getting the Microsoft vibes, you know, in, in, in your career. Uh, and then, like you were saying, that translated into becoming some total. So, I mean, the company ultimately ended up being a $100 million business by the time that, that you decided it was time for you to leave. Uh, but I think that for you and for the team, probably it was quite an interesting journey because you were able to learn as well. You know, it's, it's like what they say, you don't know what you don't know, right? And I guess at this point, what you really knew that you didn't know was the business side, you know, of really building a company. So, so what, what, what happened there? I mean, how, how did you really realize that? And, and how tough was that, you know, figuring that you guys were too techy for the business requirements that the business had? Yeah. So first thing was just that we were thinking if we build a product, if you build it, they will come kind of attitude, right? Whereas that's Microsoft's attitude. We have to first figure out what is the pain point, who's the buyer in the organization specifically and navigate the decision and then build exactly what the market wants, not what I think is ideal. You know, big problems can be solved by Googles and Microsofts because they have resources and they have they can come at, come at it with a huge idealistic philosophy. As a startup, you can't have idealistic philosophy. You have to have oxygen to breathe, and which is money. Uh, that's one kind of learning. And the other is in terms of you know, creating wealth for the people who are with you. I mean, I, I think I would have done things differently, but though we did have some good investors at that time, early stage. In fact, by the way, even Satya Nadella was a good friend at the time, and he was also an investor and an advisor for my company at the time. But, you know, we... We could have done better in terms of making sure our me and the employees had more capitalization of, of those things. And this time around, I learned quite well. So I made sure at Zenoti, our employees are well set up. So. And, and now that you mentioned Satya, I mean, what an incredible leader. I mean, what he has done with Microsoft is, uh, is remarkable. So what, what do yes. you think, you know, like makes uh, Satya Nadella such a great leader since, you, since you've, you know, had the opportunity of having that good relationship with him? Yeah, I think it is about the whole notion of looking at the work. I mean, first, of course, it's the business decision, being aligned with what's happening in the industry in terms of cloud services, where the world is going and aligning Microsoft with that direction uh, the, it was very important. And the second, from a culture perspective, you know, what does it mean to build a high performance culture at that scale? Uh, I think Satya did a pretty good job of navigating the organization into returning back to its roots of high performance uh, culture. So both, you know, aligning with what's happening with market trends. And that's just left Microsoft is on a 
amazing spree right now, and I think it has a great future ahead. And in your case, you know, after you know the the whole the transactions happening, the change of names, you know, from IntelliPrep to Click to Learn, from Click to Learn to Shroom Total, you became tired, and you you really understood that that you were more an, of an entrepreneur versus like a like an employee, you know, doing the nine to five. And here you go, you decide to leave, and you do a little bit of soul searching, and you take two years off. I mean, yes. two I, years off gives for a lot of time off and for a lot of thinking. So there. So what what went through your mind during those two years? What happened? Uh, well, I learned a lot. One of the big things is, see, I was busy working all my career. And I think that's what happens to most people. They're very busy working that they forget where they are in life in terms of awareness of the, the choices we are making, why are we making these choices? It seems very logical when you get to a certain point, you get married, you have kids, you do a job, then you buy a house, then you do this. But I think I just had a breakup call in those window through some of the workshops, meditation, yoga, and other things that I suddenly became more present to things uh, about myself. And, you know, we all die at the end of the day. And so how do you use our time and what choices do we make and stuff? So I guess along the way, what have you learned? And we're going to talk about it, you know, about Cenoti in just a little bit. But but in terms of life, right? Because I think that two years, you know, gives you a lot of time to reflect, right? And and yeah. to really take a look at, at what you've done, you know, in the past and then where you're at in, in the present and how you can project, you know, those reflections and realizations into a more of a brighter future. So So what did you learn about choices? So one thing is, I really learned that, firstly, that, you know, wellness, I spent a lot of time trying to think, what is wellness? What is well-being? And I realized that, see, our innate nature of human consciousness is to work towards our full potential. If, you, if I'm feeling healthy, if I'm feeling good, I will naturally go and solve the most complex problems that I'm able to solve, whatever it is. You know, if I'm a basketball player, I'll play basketball amazingly well. So it's all about... Well-being is about getting to a state where you are operating to your full potential in all walks of life as a father, as a you know, husband, as a, you know, professionally, etc. So, you know, that awareness of saying what is your potential and working towards that potential is what I've kind of been more present to. So then in this case, you know, obviously you came across what ended up becoming your involvement with Latitude uh, Pro. Uh, and definitely a different way of, um, of, of, of interpretation of well-being and wellness. And, and this got you excited. I mean, it was your kind of like your next rodeo to a certain degree. I mean, obviously not at the scale and level of Cenoti, which we're going to be talking about now. But, but how was the journey with Latitude Pro? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was all about being very passionate about helping people with well-being and wellness. So I used to get very excited about the whole thing. And it was not a job as such. It was more like, you know, passion, spending time with people, writing articles, thinking about how to create workshops for learning and mindfulness and well-being and everything as part of this ecosystem. So it was a great journey in learning that way. But then I realized, you know, there was huge problems with running the business because of lack of good software systems when I had multiple stores in different cities and everything. And that's how I realized, hey, there is a problem here in software. I wasn't planning to do a startup, by the way. Yet again, in software, I was happy doing what I was doing and my life was just fine. But uh, once the problem became too apparent, I had no choice. I felt like I should do this. And that's what led me to start. So then obviously, you know, 
let's talk about Cenoti, but you know, before just getting into that, you ended up doing an exit of uh, Latitude Pro. I mean, the company got acquired by Apollo Health. And I think that yes. maybe this, this gave you an overview that you didn't have before because you had the overview of perhaps, you know, like doing a business, merging it. And then, you know, obviously you, you, you say goodbye and you do your own thing. But in this case, you actually saw Latitude Pro going all the way to the finish line because it, was, it, it, it got acquired. I mean, it was literally the full cycle as an entrepreneur. How was that experience for you where now from a 30,000 foot view, you see everything and you understand what it takes from going from point A to point C? Yeah, it was, it was, it, it gave me the confidence that, look, starting a new business, the first time around when I started a business, I would definitely acknowledge I had a lot of fear. Like, you know, coming out of Microsoft is like you made this tough choice and you're scrambling to get your business back on like your every, uh, you know, energy is going into it. But now with the awareness that, hey, if you focus, if you execute, if you make the right choices, things come together. Uh, I didn't have any fear around doing another startup. It was like more like I can approach this in a more methodical way. I don't need to get afraid if things don't go well for a quarter or two, etc. So then Senoti. So tell us about Senoti, how you come across the idea of Senoti, because as they say, ideas, they're dormant for a while, then they incubate, and then, you know, it's time to really bring them to life. So how was that process for you? Yeah, so Zenoni idea came about because I was really uh, spent a lot of time trying different software to run my whole business. I tried one, didn't work out, then I did more research, tried another. So really, after trying all this, I realized, really, this is what all the people must be doing. I am like just have only seven stores. What about somebody who has 40 stores? How are they running their business? And then I realized everybody is struggling to run their business. They have no good software. They're just managing without it. So I think I just ran into a problem by being in the system. And I understood the industry very well because, you know, because I was so passionate about well-being, I would actually uh, have worked at the reception, met with every guest, you know, worked with the personal trainers. I know how personal training happens. I know how spas run, salons run. So I was so hands-on. I, it was very funny. It's weird that somebody with my kind of tech background had was so hands-on and learned so much about this kind of a business that it was easy for me to make the transition saying, I know exactly what this industry needs in terms of software. So then tell us about the business model of Cenoti so that the people that are listening get it. I mean, what, what, what has ended up becoming the business model of Cenoti? So Cenoti provides end-to-end. It's like a CRM plus ERP integrated for the spa, salon, medispa, wellness, like yoga studios, et cetera, uh, businesses. So we run everything for key brands. If you take like a brand like Core Power Yoga or a brand like European Wax, which has 800 stores in the U.S., everything from their front desk to how their consumers make bookings with them to their back office operations, inventory, marketing, uh, the employee payroll, everything is managed by Zenoti. So it's a comprehensive end-to-end solution for these businesses uh, in the wellness space. And now obviously you are um, entering a business where you have fully transitioned from the technical side to the business side and to combining both. So how is it now to be on a different seat with a different lens, with a different perspective where you're able to really own both aspects of the equation? Yeah, so I feel throughout the journey of Zenoti, what I would say is it has been, I've been able to be really aware and present to the fact that building a business is all about choices we make. You know, earlier I might have made those choices in haphazard ways. Now it was deliberate conscious awareness saying, you know what? Life is all about 
the choices we make. There are many, at every point in time, we have different paths to go. Uh, the good example I would give is like this Harry Potter movie where Harry Potter could have ended up in Slytherin House or Gryffindor House. And, you know, but somehow he ends up in Gryffindor because he asks, saying, I want to be in Gryffindor. Otherwise, he would have ended up being in Slytherin. And so then Dumbledore tells him, uh, you know, it's our choices, Harry, you know, that show what we truly are far more than our abilities, you know. So I also believe in that. Uh, how you do maybe depend on our abilities, you know, how good we are. But uh, what we do and how we achieve is all depends on the choices we make and the values we have in a stuff. So, you know, at Zenoti also, I think I made, went through tons of, uh, you know, key choices which were critical along the way for us to do, to get to where we are today. So how, how big is the company today? I mean, how many employees do you guys have? We have about 650 employees and uh, we do have, we are the leading solution today in the, well, in the you know, spa salon, you know, the high end of the market where, you know, all these big brands, I would say, there's nobody who's even one-tenth the size of Zenoti in the area of the big brands. Nice. And then in terms of capital raising, how much capital have you guys raised today? To date, we have raised uh, more than 200 million, I think 230 million or so. Yeah. Our last round was about 150 million. And you were yeah. talking about choices earlier. I mean, obviously, you know, when you're, when you're raising, you know, that kind of money, you need to choose wisely for the investors, because as they say, it's harder to divorce an investor than divorcing your husband or wife. So why did yeah. you make the choice that you made with the investors that you decided to onboard? Yeah, good question. So, uh, you know, it's actually, you know, we were initially, we were lucky enough that we didn't need capital to start our business because I had, you know, between Microsoft and my previous companies, I had enough money and there were too many friends and family who wanted to invest in my business. So I never raised any capital outside of myself and some close friends and family. Uh, but Axel Partners found us and they reached out to us. I wasn't looking for money or anything. They researched us. And the reason I chose Axel, first, of course, is the connection with the person who came to talk to me. He was so passionate. He understood the SaaS space very well. He had the broad perspective and exposure in how to grow a SaaS business. And he had, he made me aware of the one big choice I had to make. He said, look, Sudeep, you can keep doing what you're doing today, which is we were selling to the Southeast Asia, Middle East and Australia, all markets around India kind of stuff. Or really you want to build a big business? Do you realize you have to go to America if you want to build a big business? You're not going to build it from here. And I thought he had a very insightful point and, you know, and it was a big inflection point for Zenoti where I literally moved my whole family, my company, everything to Seattle. And because I did grow up here a lot of time here. And, uh, you know, I really thought he had very, made me aware of a choice that I had to make and I didn't make that choice. So, so then obviously, you know, again, going to choices. I mean, one of the things that, that it was a, another breakthrough moment for you guys was adding the payment processing. You know, how, how do you typically, like when you come across like initiatives of this nature, I mean, what is the process of listening, analyzing, and then being able to make the choice that is going to have the impact? Yeah, that's a good point. See, this is one thing which you mentioned about listening. You know, when I first started my first company, I forgot to tell you, my board member, one of my key investors and board member was used to beat the crap out of me that I was not a good listener. That's really, you're not listening. You're not listening. I'm like, what do you mean you're not listening? I'm like, really smart. Like, no, I've learned that listening <laughs> to is, is a very 
specific thing. And that was the biggest tip that somebody gave me in my life about listening. So I think I was very much listening to my customers, to the traffic of, you know, what I'm, where am I making money? Where is the money that my customers are, you know, also spending that I'm not getting, et cetera. And that's what led us to realize, hey, we should do payment processing because if we do payment processing, we get to make almost, you know, 40% more money from every customer. And there's no reason why they won't go with us in all the, when I listen to the customers. And so we chose along the way to do payment processing as a big investment for the company. And it was one of the most important choices because today 40% of our revenue comes from payment processing. I'm glad we took it on early when we uh, took on the US market, et cetera. And uh, if I had not, and of course, even after I made that choice, by the way, we did end up with trouble. Payment processing is a new beast for us. So when we launched with a partner, uh, you know, we had some problem with the partner software and things were not going well. Some of our large customers were extremely upset with me. And I had to literally fly down, listen to the CEO of this Waxing the City brand, who's a very good friend of mine today. But at that day, he was like so upset. And he was like, Sudhir, you're totally ripping apart my business. You're embarrassing me. And I think the first thing I could do was just empathize with him, listen to him and tell him, look, I totally know I'm letting you down. But I think this is a fixable problem. This is not... This is uh, separate from the core software you're using. And he was gave me a chance to address it because I listened. I mean, if I had not listened to him and I had not responded, it would have thrown me out of the room kind of stuff. So that worked out. And after we fixed all those problems, I mean, not only was that my most uh, biggest fan as a co- today of our company is, you know, the CEO of Axel City, and he would always tell everyone that uh, he loves us because of how well we averted that crisis and disaster uh, and payment processing has in turn turned out to be, you know, a huge revenue generator for us. And we would have been 40% smaller as a company if I had not made that choice. And, and, and talking about, you know, as well, the customer, you know, for, for Cenoti, I mean, the, the first couple of years, I mean, were very difficult because you were for two years developing. I mean, that's like two years in the desert before you're able to really start, you know, putting everything into market and really seeing the reaction. So, so how was that experience and and how did you, you know, end up perhaps adding some really critical data points on really understanding what the customer needed versus, you know, what you thought it was cool or what you thought it would make sense? I mean, how was the development process on those two years for you all? Yeah, so I think even we had been so immersed in the business itself, we had a fairly good understanding of what the customers may need because we had been hands-on. Uh, so that helped us a lot, but it was a long window of time where we were spending time building the whole product because we were coming to market with more like an enterprise scale product. But working with some key brands really helped us, like, you know, choosing to go talk to the largest of brands. You know, again, it's about the choice. Like we said, no, we are going to focus on the high end of the industry. We're not going to go to the small guy. The small guy is easy to sell to. You can get lots of sales very quickly. Uh, but the big guy is not going to agree so easily, but we still chose the hard path of focusing on the big guy. So listening to the big guy, partnering with them, and, you know, because they did have a problem. So they were willing to listen and share uh, share their feedback and inputs so we could evolve our software to reach a point where, you know, large brands were ready to deploy it. Uh, so I think uh, really the choice of saying, no, let's go solve the hard problem which this industry has and partner with some the right kind of customers. So we chose businesses which were like founder-led businesses because, you know, again, you can always say the market is what it is, but even within that slicing it and choosing the right customer helps you because they, they become good partners with you and stuff. 
So, for example, like now, obviously, we're, we've been talking about the past. I want to take a look at the future for Cenote. Imagine that you go to sleep tonight and you wake up five years later. I mean, you tremendous snooze, right? And you wake up in a world where the vision of Cenote is fully realized. What does that world look like? So at Zenoti, we believe fundamentally what I said earlier, which is when people feel good, they go on to find their greatness. You know, they do well in their everyday life. We think this is an industry around well-being, which touches people's lives in person. Like when you go, you know, no other place do you allow someone to come touch your hair, touch your skin, touch your, you know, whatever, uh, the yoga, the workshops and all that. So we are very passionate about this space. And when we say we are passionate about this space, we want people in this industry to really excel at what they do, while Zenoti takes care of the rest. So if you ask me five years fast forward, I would say everybody is only focused on doing what they do best, cut beautiful hair, do skin care, and leave everything else about their, their day-to-day work to Zenoti. It's like being the Uber. Uber says you drive. You just drive. I'll tell you when to pick up. I'll tell you when to drop. You go home and you're done. Your money will be in the bank. You don't have to worry at all about anything other than driving, man. I will give you the rights. Same way Zenoti should be saying, hey, you cut hair, I'll bring you the customer. You do the customer. You go home and then trust me, your money's in tips. If you need to make more tips, I'll figure out how to make more tips, how to bring those customers back. Leave everything else to Zenoti, but you keep doing a wonderful job of helping people to feel good when they walk out of your store. Very cool. So now imagine I put you into a time machine. And I bring you back in time. And you're able to have a chat with your younger self, with that younger Sudhir. And you're able to give that younger Sudhir one piece of advice before launching a company. Imagine, you know, it's right before you give your notice, you know, at Microsoft, right before you actually started IntelliPrep, your, 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 your first baby. And you're able to be right there in front of and to give one piece of business advice before launching a company, what would that be and why, Sudhir? I would say, you know, to learn to listen. You know, it is listen very well. And many people don't understand what listening really means. Listening is about all the data points that are coming at you and asking and being open to listening and asking questions in response to listening to people. Uh, I think listening is a key skill, not just in terms of doing well, even in terms of building relationships and building when people feel you listen to them, you hear them out, they trust you, they want to work with you, whether it's customers, employees, and you make the right business decisions when you listen well. And I think, you know, if any entrepreneur who listens very well to all the data coming at them would do very well. So that's what I would advise myself. Hey, just please make sure you understand what it means to listen. And maybe I would do a small exercise or workshop to make the little me to understand what listening means. A hundred percent. And I'm right there with you. You know, and I think that, for example, in fundraising, listening is everything because, you know, these are people that have formed an investment thesis around your business and it's ultimately concerns what separates them with really deploying capital. So it's really about not listening for giving the best answer or listening for looking good is listening for removing the concerns that are in between you and the money. So um, yes, I'm right there with exactly. you. So there, I guess for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Well, they can email me. My email is skoneru at zenoti.com. And, uh, you know, I am pretty prompt with most of my email all the time. Yes. Amazing. Well, Sudhir, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. 
Yes. Thank you. Glad to be here. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.